Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles open then to Genesis chapter 22 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible and we're in chapter 22 and I've entitled our Bible study today, A Life of Surrender and Sacrifice. And surrender really is the key where we finally give up our own way and we surrender ourselves to the way of God. And we've been studying the life of Abraham And it's important to remember that Abraham wasn't born, as we know him today, as the father of faith. He wasn't born as the friend of God, but there was a process of development and growth in his life. We refer to that as discipleship. He had to learn and grow along the way with successes and with failures. There was a process where God would take him from from a background of pagan idolatry to the man that he is standing in strong faith. And like any of us, growth comes and maturity comes along the way. So I just felt in the beginning of our Bible study to remind you to trust the process and be patient with yourself. Trust the process of what God's doing in your life, the lessons that you're learning, the successes that you're experiencing, the failures that are bumming you out, and be patient with yourself knowing that God is at work in your life, that he's faithful to complete what he started. And even if you have some great failure in your life, I was reminding a brother this week of the God of second chances. Like though a man falls seven times, the Bible says, he will rise again. And to the one that has failed tonight, to the one that's face down, to the one that needs to sober up, to the one that ran back to and did this and ran away and, hey, listen, The Bible says, get up. You can get up and you can forsake all that has been holding you back. Abraham's growing up. We can't compare the Abraham we met early on to the Abraham that we have here in chapter 22 because he's grown up. He's a different man. And I think that's important for you to understand. If you do compare yourself to the man, the woman that you were, just make sure that you recognize the growth that God has given you. It'd be easy to look back and go, oh, all the failures, all the challenges. Yes, but look how far you've come. See the faithfulness of God. So here in chapter 22, we looked at the first few verses last time, and we'll finish the chapter today. But up to this point, Abraham has been given three major tests or faced three major crises in his life. The first one was the test that God gave him to leave his homeland to a place that God would show him. Next, he was called to separate from Lot, his nephew, whom he loved very much. And then next, he was told to let go of his precious son, Ishmael. And by the way, if you're just dropping into this Bible study, we have studied all the chapters and all the verses up to today. So a lot of what I'm sharing is referring back to other studies that you can go on our app or our website and listen to where they all build on one another. So we've studied all of these, his calling out of his homeland when the dealings with Lot, even what happened with Ishmael. We're in his fourth and the most significant test in his life here in chapter 22. 
It's the most difficult. It's going to bring the most pain, the most suffering, the most anguish. But God has prepared him. He's gone from glory to glory and strength to strength. He's ready for this, whether he feels like it or not. And pick up with me again in verse 1, just by way of review of chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him, there is a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And this was the summary of our last Bible study. We spent the whole evening looking at it. But by way of review, this is a, this is a paragraph of obedience. He's ready. He hears his voice being called by God after a time of silence and his response was, here I am. And that's the proper response to the call of God. That's the proper response when you wake up in the morning. That's the proper response when you face a crisis. Here I am, Lord. What do you have to say to me? What do you want to add to my life? What do you want to take away from my life? What do you want to do in and through me? And he realizes as he receives, it says he's preparing and he's ready. And it says in verse five that he takes his son and he heads off to worship. And while he doesn't quite know what God is doing at the moment, he doesn't have it all explained to him. As we've learned over and over again, especially those of you that are new to the Bible, you know, as you're reading this, you have to just stop for a moment and realize that Abraham has experienced this in real time. Not, he doesn't have the full picture yet. He doesn't have it all explained to him. He doesn't know chapter 22 at the end or chapter 23 or he doesn't have any idea what's happening. He's obeying God moment by moment by moment by moment. And he knows this, whatever happens in verse five, he's gonna head up and it's going to be an act of worship. Now I know we have relegated worship when we use that word almost immediately, we associate it directly with uh, singing of songs. And it certainly does cover, worship does cover the singing of songs or the singing of hymns in honor of God, but it's not exclusive. The Bible would teach us that all of our lives are worship unto God. Bible study, giving, sharing, serving, it's all worship. Not just the songs that we sing or the joy that we experience in song. Abraham knows here that God does not require or approve of human sacrifice. And while it's not yet been codified in the law, because the law hasn't been written yet, we know later on the heart of God. The heart of God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Abraham had this understanding that we see written later on. You can just jot it down. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 30 through 32 and also Deuteronomy chapter 18 in verse 10 and 11, when the law was written down and repeated, the, the prohibition of the pagan idolatry of offering your children as sacrifice is forbidden. The distinction is made for the followers of God and in comparison to the world in which they live, it says it's like, this is what the world is doing, but it's not for you. 
And you can see it, I'll just read to you in Deuteronomy, in the passage in verse 12, it says, take heed to yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you and that you don't inquire after their false gods saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not, you shall wor- you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. And so God tells them, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You don't add to it or take it away. So Abraham has an understanding or a faith in God at this point that God could raise up Isaac. He says in verse 5, Even if this all went through and he doesn't know what's happening, he says in verse five, by faith, not only will they go up and worship, but we're coming back. I mean, to me, every Bible commentator, even myself, as I look at it, you can see maybe a rudimentary understanding in the resurrection, and I can see that. But I also see an angle here where these are just words of hope. I'm, gonna, I'm going up with my son. I'm coming back with my son. Whether I follow through, this doesn't make sense to me, God. I don't understand it. And so maybe you're just going to go up and I'm coming right back down with him. But if you're really asking for this, I'm ready to do it. And I'm still going to come back because God, I believe in your power. But at the very least, what we know is that he's ascending the mountain by faith and obedience. And friends, look, there's so much about what God does in our lives that we don't understand. Remember, we spent some time last time talking about this need in our lives for information. If I just had more information, just tell me more. Tell me what you're doing, God. If I had more information, I'd be more obedient. But God, he's not going to give you more information. He wants to give you revelation. And remember that when we, when we get into these crises and trials, one of our first responses, one of our first questions is Why? So just understand when you have a why question, you can ask them, God, it's not that he's against it. You can ask all you want. You just have to be ready for the answer. And sometimes the answer is, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to respond with, you just trust me. But remember when you ask the why question, and you can ask it all you'd like, just remember this. Why question is asking God for more information. And as you're asking for God for more information, just with your asking why, and that just seems to be your go-to question, then just, just add to it, Lord, I know I want more information. I know I'm weak in this area. I admit to you that I think if I had more information, I would have more faith. But God, what I really need is revelation. I need you to reveal yourself to me. I need to know your presence is with me. I need to know that no matter what I face and where I go and what mountain you call me to climb and what sacrifice you're asking me to make, what thing I don't understand, you know my heart, God. And this is, could be a passionate prayer in your life, right? You, just, you know my heart. You know I think I need more information, but I know also, Lord, what I really need is revelation. I need to see a clearer view of you and trust you with my life where I am right now. Well, notice in verse six now, He says, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, and the two of them went 
together. No doubt this was an interesting walk ascending to the mountain. I'm sure there was a lot going on, but I do believe that they had a sweet walk together, even though, because I don't know if you've seen this to be true, but you know, challenging things, they have a way of really coming against us, but they also have a way of uniting us. And we rally together. And so here they are having some kind of conversation, perhaps their hearts beating, their minds racing. And there's Isaac with the wood placed upon his back. Again, we have a picture of Isaac as a type of Jesus as he had his own cross on his back. And they both go up together. Nobody can go with them. It's just the two of them. None of their servants can go to that place of ultimate sacrifice. I mean, you can watch them ascend. You can see it. But it's not for us. You know, I I find um, at times in our lives too where we're where we're in a trial perhaps, or we watch someone that's really facing great adversity and challenges, and and we want to help, but we can't. There's no room for us to help. We can pray and we can watch. We can anticipate. We can wait for them to come back. We can be there. We can rally them. We can cheer them on, but it's not for us. And, And whether you're on that place where you're watching someone suffer and go through it, and you're just like, man, I wish I could help. I don't know how I can help. They don't want my help, whatever that is. But then also on the other side, the one that's in the trial, sometimes you'll watch people just kind of disappear. The farther along you go, the less you're surrounded with people. It's just you and the Lord. Or it's just you and your son in the Lord. Or you and your wife in the Lord. Or you and your singleness in the Lord. It's just you two. And you're like, where is everyone? Well, this God is taking you into a place where only you can be. No one else is going to be there with you. It's not that they've abandoned you and it's not that they, as a matter of fact, it could be like Abraham here is like, you guys can't come up with us. It was his direct instruction. And it even could be that God is taking you away, not for isolation again, but for what? Revelation. It's something that only you can experience. Something that you will learn. It isn't an area where even as you think about the cross and you think about the picture of the father sacrificing his son, as we looked at in depth last time, the cross is not a place that we can be. Jesus alone is on that holy hill paying the price. We have nothing to offer. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We, we, we can't offer ourselves for our own salvation. There's nothing that we can contribute to it. There's nothing that we have that will match the cross. No servant is allowed to be there. We can just receive. And there's a a point in your life, in in Abraham's life, but also in your life, where there's no more more effort, no energies. None none of your human energy is going to help the situation. It's God calling you to your knees. Both those that are ascending, but also those of us that are watching. And here's Isaac carrying the wood on his back. Here he is, he voices what was on his heart. At least we get some of what was on his heart. In verse 7, he finally, the silence is broken, and he goes, Dad, Dad. And Abraham's, there I am. Where is the offering? (laughs) What's going on here? What did God, what did you hear from God? And Abraham's answer was no explanation, not even any comfort to his son. It was just a statement. God's going to provide. We're up here by faith, son. And it's interesting, though, as you take this and you come to the New Testament, because 
in the first time that the word lamb is used in the New Testament is right there. Let me show you. Turn over to John's gospel, would you? Come to me, come with me to John chapter one, and I want you to notice in verse 29. The first time that lamb is mentioned here in the New Testament is in John chapter one. And so while Abraham answers, hey, the Lord will provide for himself, here's the real answer that God gives to that question in verse 29. It says, the next day, this is John's gospel, chapter one. You can cross-reference if you'd like to write in your Bibles. You can put both Genesis 22 here. You can come back in Genesis 22 and write John 1, 29. It says, behold the lamb, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Lamb is not used in Matthew, in Mark, or in Luke, but the first time it's used right here answers the question that Isaac asks back in Genesis. You know, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And God says, behold, through John, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It may take some time for the questions you have of God to be answered. It may take some time where the things that you're waiting upon, I love that Isaiah uh, passage that was in our prayer time today because like the promise of God is yours to claim as your mind is stayed on him. He will give you what? What does it say? Perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And in that time of waiting, in that time of wondering, in that time of, hey, what is going on here, dad? And I wonder how many times your prayer life has been filled with, what is going on here, Dad? What's going on here, Father? I don't understand this. What's going to, what's, hey, we're here now, now what? How's this all going to work out? And to me, it's a tremendously prophetic passage as it's fulfilled in John chapter 1. Abraham responds again in faith, saying, God will provide. And can't you hear that in this chapter? Can't you hear that's God answer, God's answer for you as we were reading about the words of Jesus and worry, hey, God will provide. The New Testament says that God will provide for you according to all of his riches in Christ Jesus. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 12 with me now as we understand a little bit of the new covenant perspective of this. And what, God, what does God provide? What does God require for us? What is it that stirs us to live sacrificially, committed lives, surrendered lives? Well, today we know that faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. That's what stirs our faith, God's word. And one of the things that God teaches us is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, or you, if you like to write in your Bible, circle that word and say, I beg you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation, just a little bit more modern in its language. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way that we worship him, 
This is truly the way to worship God. Don't copy the behavior or the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, we went through Romans many years ago, and we went through a whole series in chapter 12 on how to discover the will of God. So anybody today that would be asking, I don't understand how to, to, how do I know God's will for my life? I encourage you to go back and listen to that series. But this is the beginning. The beginning is to present yourself to him. The beginning is not to offer yourself as a burnt offering. You know, as a burnt offering, all that was laid on the, off, on the altar was burned and there was nothing left. But that's not God's will for your life. Your, God's will for your life is not to be an offering that's completely burned up and gone, but rather to live as an offering to God. To surrender your rights and your privileges and your opinions and all that you value and all that you've made your identity in and to live as a sacrifice to him. He, he asking for the church to live a holy, separated life. He's not telling you to clean up your act. He's not telling you to get everything in order. He's telling you to come to him by faith. He'll do the work in you. You surrender to the work that's ongoing in your life. Because of his mercy, you worship him by offering your life. You know, I've, this phrase comes up a lot where we read some story of a missionary or someone, a martyr. A martyr is someone who's lost their life because of Jesus. They, they died or were murdered because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. Like in Middle Eastern countries and many African countries today, the believers are China, uh, and on and on. There's so many martyrs and those giving up their life in a very literal way in this moment. And so we'll hear that in our culture and go, you know, I'd be willing to die for Christ. I will be willing to die for Christ. And you mean it physically. But God isn't asking you to die for him. He's asking you to live for him. He's asking you to die to yourself. Oh no, I don't want to die to myself. But maybe one day, if I'm ever somewhere, I'll die for Christ. He's not asking for that. He's not asking for the burnt offering. He's not putting wood on your back. He's not asking you to set a fire and lay yourself on the altar and die physically. He's asking you and me to die spiritually, but to live physically for him. There's a lot of people that are willing to say, I'll die for Christ. But the real question is, are you, and are you willing to live for him? And I think if you look yourself in the mirror, even tonight, God's just really going, you know, there's, there, there's, not, there, there's, there's not really a lot of your willingness to live for me. And I mean, stepping into a Bible study, great. Singing songs of worship, wonderful. Learning about the character and the nature of God, even as we get a picture and a type of the father and Abraham or the son and Isaac. God is going to use that in your life. Your faith is going to grow. And then in a few moments, you're going to go right out these doors. And then the question will be, what will you do with what you've learned? How will it affect you? How will it change you? And it's very difficult to allow God to change you when you're trying to change yourself, trying to make yourself more acceptable to God. You know, it's, it's silly to think of it, but think of the word to Abraham. Abraham, get your son, your only son, take him up and offer him. Well, let me get the best wood for you, God. I'll go up to the mountain when I get the best wood for you. And you know, maybe I need to, to take a wood cutting class so I can cut it just right for you. 
I want to make sure that the fire burns perfect and I'm going to learn how to find the best fire that lasts the most. And and let me send my son to a training class before we ever go up the mountain. Let me make sure he understands what it means to obey me and I'll send him away and he can, like, it's so silly. When God speaks, there's only one response. Here I am. What do you want me to do, Lord? I have nothing to offer you. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm not as wise. As a matter of fact, God, your call into deeper and your call into greater and your challenge and your allowing the trial is only a revelation of how weak I am. How much you want me to trust you and to live in simple obedience. God doesn't move you, even though I, maybe you grew up this way, but I'm telling you, God doesn't move you by guilt. That's not his motivating, like making you feel bad about yourself so you can do more for him. Or feeling all condemned because you made a mistake or you fell on your face. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll do better next time. But God has shown you that in your own strength, you're just going to fall on your face. So you'll do better by maybe going two more steps and you'll fall on your face. And you'll do better maybe going three more steps and fall on your face. And it's seven times by the time you fall on your face where you're like, you know what? It's not working. I need to surrender. I don't have anything to offer God. What I offer is myself. As broken and as dirty and as difficult. I offer myself, Lord. Do with me what you will. Use me. And not by guilt. But the Bible says that God motivates us by grace. And when you just step and you just think, you know, I don't deserve anything. God, you've been so good to me. I don't deserve, what what have I done to earn? What have I done to have this status with you, God? What have I done that you would choose of 8 billion people on the planet, you'd speak to me today, have a word for me? Like, who am I? Like, there's got to be 7,999,999,999 other people that you could speak to, but you spoke to me. And you didn't just speak to me in general. You gave me a specific word of comfort, of encouragement, of hope. You pointed out something in my life that no one knows but you, God, and you let me know that you know, and then you call me to yourself. Living sacrifice. Perhaps that's the big step for the new year, for the new week, for the new life, is a living sacrifice. You want to know the will of God? It it will come to, to you clearly as you present yourself. A living sacrifice. And Paul is pretty serious about this. He uses that word beseech. We don't use it much, but like in the new living, I plead with you. Like I think a dad to a son or, or someone that's desperate. God's not going to threaten you. He doesn't use hell or judgment as a threat as some religions do. The Bible says that hell wasn't even created for human beings. It was created for the angels, for the rebellious ones. It's not God's heart that you would spend eternity apart from him. There's no greater place of understanding God's grace than having your body and your life presented to him as a living sacrifice. Trusting him. That sense of total, sold out, surrendered life. It's interesting, you know, because as we uh, invite someone to join our team, I'll sit in or perhaps Pastor Everett will sit in and we'll talk about their spiritual life as part of the interview And I'll ask this question Uh, in case you ever are in my office. Now you know the question ahead of time, but I asked this. I said, hey, on a scale of one to 10, 
what does your spiritual life look like today? And almost always it pauses someone and they're trying to figure out what number I'm listening for. And maybe if I say 10, I'll sound arrogant. But if I say one, they'll never hire me. You know, that kind of thinking, just like you are in an interview. And I'll tell you right now, the number doesn't matter to me. It doesn't really matter, one or 10. If you said one, I'd say, well, man, did you have a really bad day today? How's it going? Um, Is it always a one? Uh, Because if it's always a one, then maybe you should wait a little while to take this responsibility because there's so much spiritual warfare in this position. And and one is, you know, if you're always down and defeated and discouraged, then a little bit of warfare will just put you over the edge. You know, we might have that discussion. Or someone says 10, and I'm like, really, a 10? You're the first one that ever said 10. You're perfect in your walk with the Lord. And then we'll talk about it, and it'll be, well, not really perfect, but I had a really good day today, and it's a great conversation. And it could be five, it could be 10. But it reminds me that we relate to God like that. And if we had a day that like a 10, then we feel good. And we had a day like one, we feel bad. But I remember reading an author uh, of a a book on your identity in Christ. And he made this suggestion. I thought it was really good. That when we relate to God, he's not looking for us to be 10 or even looking for us to be negative 10. You know what he wants from us? Zero. Zero. He wants us to be a zero. Oh, immediately you kind of look at that and, well, my value, I'm just a zero. I want to go from zero to hero. No, 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 no. It's not like the world. The world wants you. If you're, you can never be a zero. You need to be a hero. No, he, he wants you in full submission. He must increase. We must decrease. Now, he didn't want a minus five or nine is 10 where we're beating ourselves up on, look at me, I'm horrible. Because that's not, that's not humility. And he doesn't want us 10, like I'm perfect every day of the week. I'm just doing so good. I'm like, I'm great. Because that's, that, that's also not humility. Humility is the place of a, of a steady, constant contentment where God is your all in all. And we're just not comfortable with zero. We think we got to have something. Either some of you, your personality's got to have more than zero. I got to be at least a five today and then I'll beat myself up if I'm not. And then if you have personalities that kind of are sensitive and you're condemning, then you're a negative five all the time. But God just wants you to present yourself. He wants you to live by living a sacrificial life so that he is your all in all. And again, remember when we were new believers, none of this mattered. We believed it already. It is all God and not me. And for some of us, we walked up the aisle to an altar call and go, I don't even know what I'm doing. But he talked about God loving me. I love God and I'm gonna follow him the rest of my life. I don't even know what it means. But I'm gonna do what that pastor told me to do because he's got a Bible open. I'm gonna read it. He told me to read it. I'm gonna read it. He told me to pray. I don't even know how to pray, but I'll just talk to God, I guess. Hopefully he'll be happy with it. Yeah, he'll be happy with it because when I started doing that, God met me in my prayer. He spoke to me. When I set aside all of the alcohol that was assuaging my life, when I threw it away and I dumped it out, got rid of any of the drugs in the house, the Lord met me there. He was right there. He says, oh, that's good. You're getting back to zero there. I didn't know what that meant. You could tell me, just like maybe right now, you're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about either. You will. But God will explain this to you as you walk in obedience to him. You don't have to Make yourself much, like, I'm just going to, man, I'll really serve the Lord when I deal with all these things. Or, you know, I'm never going to be good enough to serve the Lord. Neither one is acceptable. Just present yourself, sacrifice to him today. That's the only way Abraham could become the man of faith. He just had to do what God told him to do in the moment. 
And now years later, thousands of years later, what are we doing here in Aurora, Colorado and around the country on the radio and online? We're reading about the faith of Abraham. God didn't say, dude, Abe, you don't understand. You are going to encourage so many people. There's going to be a group indoors because it's snowing outside that just need the warmth of your encouraging faith. He doesn't tell them that. He says, go up to the mountain. Offer your only son, the one you treasure and prize and possess. You see, some of you, you treasure and prize and possess your status as a believer, your great faith, how far you've come. And you just need to get back to zero. And don't treasure anything but the Lord. And God will minister to you. I'm not going to ask for it now, but I already know. I can sense the room. I, my spirit bear witness with the Holy Spirit that God is speaking today. That God is giving revelation right now in places in your heart and life. And if not right now, some of you right now for sure, but if not right now, it's going to come three o'clock in the morning, Saturday night. You're like, what? Are you going to set your alarm? No, I don't. I'm just picking a time. But it'll be at that time when you're wrestling and you're worried and you just don't know what to do and you wake up and you go, Lord, I just want to be zero. And the Lord says, right there. That's where I want you. And you go right back to sleep. Trusting the Lord. Because he'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him. Come back to Genesis 22. I, I want you to see a few more things before we head out. But notice, in verse 9, they came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. A lot of focus on Abraham, but how do you think Isaac's feeling about right now? And he's a little concerned, I think. You know, from all the calculations, Isaac is not a, a baby in diapers here, and he's not a little teenager. Most commentators agree he's in his early 30s. Could easily overpower his 120-year-old dad. I think you have lost it, pops. And I'm not doing this. There's nothing like that. Abraham's a man of faith. Isaac here becomes what? A man of obedience. Submission. Surrender. Abraham's walking in faith trusting God. But how about Isaac? He's walking in faith, trusting God and his dad. He's trusting his dad's hearing from God. And how could he get to this place except that God has shown Isaac all his life that his dad follows God? He's watched his dad. He's listened to the stories. He's grown up in his home. He's seen the ups and the downs which is very prominent in our homes. That's where real life takes place. And he's watched it all. And this is the result. God has given him faith to trust God, but also to trust his dad. To trust his dad in even something that doesn't make sense. And this is all happening here. And it says in verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son, but... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he's like, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. You can mark these verses. You could just write next to it, Abraham passed the test. But where exactly did Abraham pass the test? I say, you could, I, I say he passed it the first time he responded. I say he passed it the next step he took. I say he passed it all along the way. That this test was not a one-time thing, but it was every moment of every step and every moment and every thought that he needed to learn to surrender himself to the Lord moment by moment, abiding in the truth, trusting what he knew of God, even when he didn't understand, even when he didn't have the information. I suggest to you that the whole thing was a test that was passed by Abraham, but this is where he found out the results. This is where he got his test back. A++, plus plus, plus plus plus. Extra credit, plus, plus, plus. He passed the test. God knows that Abraham fears him, but it wasn't a new knowledge for God. It was new knowledge for Abraham. Because don't you find that to be true? You're taking all these baby steps. You're obeying the Lord. And sometimes you just don't even know if you're doing it right. You don't even know if you're going in the right direction. You don't even know if you heard him right, but you think you did, but you're not sure. You think you did. Am I alone in that? Or is that, amen, anybody? Hello? Hello, I hear everybody online a lot louder. You guys, okay. You guys, this side, is lots of faith needed over here. These guys, but you guys online, I hear you. I hear you. But like, you're just like, you're reading your Bible. You hear something. And you're like, I don't know if this is from the Lord, but, but I'm going to do it. And you don't even know until you know. But you passed the test when you did it. The results aren't yours. It was just obeying what you were told. Go get your son, all right? Get some wood, all right? Take him to the mountain. Go to Moriah, all right? Go up to, like all along the way, he's okay, 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 but what am I doing? You're obeying God. And he values every step, not just the last step. And by the way, I think we could develop this. Remember, I was thinking about doing a lot more studies on this, but I didn't, but we could go in a couple different ways with this as well, where when we have the positive side is we're learning in the book of Acts where God doesn't give the second step until you take the first. Well, you know, sometimes you don't find out what the Lord's doing all along the way. You don't really see it until the last step. And you go, how do I know the last step? You'll know when you know. It's kind of like you're on a need to know basis. You'll know when you need to know. And so along the way, you just walk by faith. You just trust the Lord along the way. You live your life. You love God. Because again, the challenges and the tests can so wrap us up and we just get so focused on them that we forget to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're just so caught up in our identity and this difficulty. You won't believe it. What they tell you is, okay, 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 yes. You keep walking by faith, but don't forget to love God and be loved by him. Enjoy him. Even in the fog, even in the difficulty, as the snow started falling today, we're still in all our meetings today, and there's an angle up here in the conference room where you can see out. You can see out the side window, and you can see out there. And like it was almost dark, like, I don't know, early in the morning, like 10 or 11. I'm like, no way. They didn't say that much snow was going to come. Like it was, you couldn't even see the light poles in the parking lot. 
And I'm like, Everett, what's going on? Why didn't you tell me about the weather? You know, whatever, the conversation, like, it's snowing way much, and we don't like that. But it wasn't snow. You know what it was? It was fog. That just a little bit of fog had descended upon the parking lot where I couldn't see. I couldn't even see the light pole or the cars parked out there. I even mistook it for snow and a heavy snowstorm. You know how the winds bring in those snowstorms. And, you know, there are times in our lives where the fog, they just can't see beyond just what's in front of us. And it can come so quickly, but it also can lift very quickly because it was gone as fast as it, you know, by the time we finished another meeting, it's gone and you can see out the parking lot again. But even in the fog, taking those steps of faith, of obedience, all along, it's the whole process. I think we, and I know this is an issue for me, I get so caught up in the destination that I forget it's the journey. It's the journey. And even that's a new phrase being used lately in this generation. It's the journey of faith. It's not just the destination as much as I look forward to it. It's everything along the way. And at this age, I don't want to miss any more along the journey. I want to gain as more. I want more, not less. I want to enjoy the journey. And I think inside of Abraham, he offered the supreme sacrifice to God. And it wasn't his son. It was his surrender. The object was his son. But what Abraham offered was himself a living sacrifice to God. And I can tell you right now, this is not the way God will reveal it to you. He never did this again with a human being. This is a unique test. So don't sit around thinking, well, you know, when God asked me to go up to the mountain and Mount Evans and I'll sacrifice my daughter or my son to him, then I'll learn. No, that is never going to happen ever. This is unique. But he wants to reveal your heart to you. And he wants to bring tests into your life so you might learn to take the step. And it won't always be oh, this is such a great step of faith. I'm so happy about it. Yay, let's go take a step of faith. Come on, honey, let's go. This is wonderful. Sometimes it's like, what? You want me to do what? And again, not even Abraham's doing that, but I think I would. I think you would. I think I have. I think you have in the real life relationship with God. And you can see now, especially those of you that might be newer to our church or newer to the faith, or maybe even listening in from the outside, you can see little by little how we want to emphasize for you that your relationship with God is a relationship. It's not a transactional religion where man has created all of these things to do. And then once you do them, then you can sort of feel good about yourself and do the next things and do the next things. God doesn't call you into a place of doing things. He calls you into a place of resting in him. And of course, you're going to live your life. There's going to be actions from your life, but not in order to please God, but to respond to God. He is always the initiator. And we, with ears to hear, always are the responders. So this, this speaks to you that had a bad week. What are we, 11 days into the new year. Some of you that said, I'm going to read the Bible uh, all the way through this year have already failed. You've already missed a day. So what do you feel like? Well, you know what? I'll make it up. 
I'll make it up. I'll do twice or you've already missed. It's 11 days. You've missed nine days. Okay, so you missed nine days and I'm going to do nine days and then I'm going to make it up and I'm going to get nine days ahead and then God, then God, then God will be pleased with me. He is pleased with you because of Calvary. Is it good to keep your commitments? Sure. Is it great to read the Bible every day? Yes. Make commitments for sure. But you miss a day, you miss a time. God is not all of a sudden displeased with you. He loves you with a supreme love that's not dictated by your behavior. And so what does that happen? You get all guilty and you get overwhelmed and it doesn't help. Because now you're just reading so you can make it up and you're just reading so you can do it or you're just reading now trying to make up for your mistakes. Instead, God calls you not to this religious activity but out of relationship where you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I missed a couple of days, had a bad day, overslept, whatever, but I'm going to get back because God, you have a word for me. I'm amazed that out of 8 billion people, you have a word for me, so I'm ready to hear it. I never understood the Bible in my whole life, but I understand it now. That's amazing. It's a miracle. And so I want to walk in the miracle. I want to walk in the miraculous. I can open your Bible and you have a word for me. Like, I can't believe it. The land that's talked about all these thousands of years, back now on this side of the Bible, there's, where's the answer? God gives himself a lamb as a sacrifice. And actually has nothing to do with Abraham and Isaac. It has everything to do with Jesus and the Father. It's a beautiful thing. God will provide. That's what he says here in verse 14. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord, it says, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 15, called Abraham a second time and said, by myself I have sworn. And you'll notice in verse 15, uh, as we've looked before, the, the translators capitalize angel here. Many believe this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Uh, he's, he says, I'm by myself I have sworn, verse 16, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, in blessing, I'll bless you. In multiplying, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, Isaac, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And no doubt he had that promise on his mind anyway, this promised child. All these years he waited with Sarah, had a child when his body couldn't do it, when his wife was so old that she couldn't do it. It was miraculous. And now what you've done in miracle that we waited all these years, you want me to offer back up to you? I don't know what you're doing, God, but I believe your promises. And now he just reaffirms it. It's through Isaac. All the nations are going to be blessed. His promise doesn't change. God keeps his promises. And he says, you've obeyed because you've obeyed my voice. And Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt, with, dwelt at Beersheba. Just by the way, don't you think this was a pretty interesting conversation they had about what took place? I mean, don't you think they were tripping out like, whoa, what, huh? And they don't even know yet, but like Abraham's like, you wouldn't believe what, I mean, this is amazing. And then the angel showed up and it was like, yes, which by the way, it's really good for you to share your story with people and be excited about it. Even if they're tripping out about it, it's like, what? You're God, what? And he's like, yeah, you won't believe what God's doing in my life. You won't believe what he said. You won't believe how he showed up. You don't believe how he provided. You won't believe, what, like, I didn't even want to do this, but I did it anyway. And look what happened. God is so good to me. The Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of our testimony. So tell people about what God's doing because it'll encourage, you know, it might trip them out, but it'll encourage you as you start rehearsing 
What, ha- what has God done in your life? What is God doing in your life? And they'll anticipate, what does God want to do in your life? God will provide. He's not holding out on you. He's not teasing you. He's not taunting you. He's ready to give you everything that you want in him. And think about some of the things over the years that we've wanted. Everything that has gotten in the way of just simple faith that the Lord would show us. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your food. Just look at the birds and look at the flowers and just see the faithfulness of God. You think those are beautiful and the birds are being taken care of. Aren't you more valuable than them? And the answer to that is, yes. Yes, you are. Notice verse 15 now. Or excuse me, verse 20. It came to pass after these things. It was told Abraham saying, Indeed, Milcah has born children to your brother Nahor, Huz and his firstborn and Buzz. Looking for names, uh, pregnant ladies? Name your twins, Huz and Buzz. Kemuel, father of Aram, Chesed, Hazel, Pildash, uh, Jitlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. And these eight Milka bore to Nahar, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Reuma, who also bore Teba, Gehem, Theash, and Maaka. And so you've got all these other kids and interesting names. They might be interesting to you, but for the people that had their name, they're pretty important to them. And God is doing a great work. God is going to continue. Chapter 23 is a pretty sad chapter, so I encourage you to read ahead uh, because that's what will be next time. But it's also great insight. I want, I want you to come ready, men and especially women, but especially men too. I want you to come ready to see a different, because I, I just been working on this message this week, I want you to see a different perspective of Sarah and the particular passage that talks about Sarah submitting to her husband. Because you hear that word, and I don't want to go too far into it because we're out of time, but like you hear that word and you're just like, oh, I'm not submitting to anybody. I can't believe Sarah called him Lord. I'm never calling anybody Lord. Only Jesus Lord. And even then I have a hard time with that too. Stop it. Sarah was a special woman, but not any more special than any of you ladies. As a matter of fact, you ladies, you have the Holy Spirit. You that are born again have the Holy Spirit in you. You can go farther than Sarah. But I've been working on this, kind of looking at it because it's such a controversial passage. And pastors like me, and I'm sure I've done it in the past, I won't do it anymore, will make a joke about that passage and just kind of make it like, you know, no, 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 no. Peter is serious. He saw something in Sarah's life that I've been searching for. Why would the Holy Spirit inspire Peter to write those words? He saw something in her that's that's commendable. It's commendable for us to, to listen to, to look at. And so be prepared for that. Bring a friend. Maybe they've had a problem with that passage their whole life or they, they have a problem with this topic of submission. And here's a secret just in case you want to let them know. The Bible talks about submission both ways. And some of you husbands are like, thanks, Ed. Yeah, read your Bible. It's right there. Mutual submission. Ephesians chapter five, mutual submission. And it's a beautiful thing to live together, submitted to the Lord and to one another. So read at 23. Father, thank you for the privilege of your word and, and just the things I pray that both in my studies, but also just being here uh, today that I honored your word and gave the, 
gave the, the insights that you desired for us. I know it goes all over the place, and I'm grateful for that, the Bible studies, but I know that this is the church I'm called to serve. And I want to be faithful to this flock and to the men and women that call this church home. And that what, you're do, what are you doing among us, Lord? Call, keep calling us to surrender. Keep inviting us to follow. Wanting us to get to zero so that we might fu- be fully dependent upon you. Not leaning on our own understanding, which is information, but acknowledging you in all our ways, which is revelation. That you will, your word is a lamp to our feet. It guides us. You said if we trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. You said, God, if we acknowledge you in all our ways, you will direct our paths. And so I pray for that direction in our lives, God. That we might walk by faith and live by faith. That we might go up the mountain in obedience to you. That we might remember Calvary. That you might be built up the sacrifice life in our lives. That you would pull more surrender from us, Lord, not less. That you would help us in our weaknesses. That your grace might be, your strength might be made perfect because your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you, God, for speaking tonight and leading and helping us and just encouraging us. A little bit of laughter here and there, a little bit of conviction and direction, Lord. We just are so grateful. We wouldn't get this watching Amazing Race. We wouldn't get this watching the news. We wouldn't get this watching some Hallmark Channel movie. But when we come to your word, you have riches and you have a word for us, a rhema word. So it, let the seeds that were planted, let, let the sowing of righteousness in this moment be rewarded with eternal dividends in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.